Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the For the Town, the podcast. My name is Brian Doback, and I'm the uh, pastor at Streamsong Church in Doylestown. And we're for Doylestown. And on this podcast, we're seeking to discover the God-given creativity, the drive, and the passions uh, of people and leaders within the Doylestown and Central Bucks community. And we really, we do this by interviewing local entrepreneurs, philanthropists, educators, business leaders, people in governance, and employees of all levels and celebrate people, celebrate what they do and highlight their particular role in the community and really give you the audience a path on how to connect with them if you want to connect with them. So uh, today uh, on our on our show, we have Mary Ann from A Woman's Place. Mary Ann, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Mary Ann Lynch. I am the fairly new executive director of A Woman's Place. Um, been in nonprofits though for about 20 years. Um, very excited to do this work and very excited to do it in my own community. Awesome. So uh, are you from Doylestown area? How long have you lived here in the area for? So I moved here from Vermont actually about 14 years ago. I live in Chalfont, so not too far away, kind of right on the Doylestown Chalfont border. Um, so very familiar with the area, and um, yeah, it's it's great to be able to you know a 10 minute commute to work is kind of nice, but just to be able to do something that's so close to home too. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually have family um, uh, in Portland. No, that's Portland. That's Maine. That's Maine. Um, <laughs> I have, uh, I have family in Portland, but then I have family in Rutland. That's Vermont, that's, right? That's Vermont. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Rutland. Um, yeah, chances are when I lived there, I probably knew them or knew somebody who knew them because Vermont has just about the same amount of people as Bucks County. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, from what I understand, Vermont's a, a really kind of an underrated state. It's a great place to visit for, um, but people normally wouldn't like think of Vermont first to go visit. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why it's stunningly beautiful. Yeah, that's what I hear. Yeah, and uh, you know, during a pandemic, it's, it's pretty rural. There's not a whole lot of people, you know, on top of you, so you're able to get out into nature and not really run across another soul. So it's it's gorgeous up there. I miss yeah, it. and there's a there's like a lot of camping and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. Hiking yep. and all that. Yep. Biking, a whole nine yards. Yes, yeah, it's, a, it's a definitely you know an outdoors person's paradise. Um, I had a great time when I lived there. That's yeah. awesome. But then, you know, I, I guess uh, I also, when I think of Vermont or really all those states, I think of all the snow in the winter. <laughs> yeah, you know, but you get used to it. You learn how to dress. Um, you know that it's going to be cold and um, nobody really aspires to have beautiful footwear because it gets <laughs> ruined. So, because you wear boots for like six months at a time. So, but it's, um, that brings a whole nother um, piece of winter sports, you know, snowshoeing and cross country skiing. And, and um, it's, I like it just as much in the winter as I do in the summer. That's awesome. I like, I like to ask folks, um, you know, in the Doylestown area, what are, you know, uh, why do you love the Doylestown area? And what, what keeps you here? Um, well, I think first and foremost for me, it's my neighborhood. Um, I live in a little, you know, 1950s neighborhood that obviously was built right when all those track, you know, those neighborhoods and, and some suburbs were being built. But we have huge yards, we have mature trees, and I have great neighbors. Um, I think that that's one of the, the main things. The schools, Central Bucks schools, are the best. Yeah. Um, I know everybody's kind of grumbling about what's going on in a pandemic, but with the choices they've had, I think that they have made really good decisions. And so I'm really happy about the school system. Yeah. But I 
Love Town itself is adorable. Yeah. Um, there's no other way to put it. It's so sweet and quaint and um, at the same time progressive um, and interesting. And it's, you know, it's the county seat. Um, I was just driving down the street today just thinking, I live in a really cute place. This is a really <laughs> nice community to live in. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's awesome. Um, do you have, uh, do you have uh, uh, kids? Do you have uh, 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 a husband and a family? Yep. Awesome. So I have, I always say I have two sons by marriage and two by birth. Um, yep. I'm in a second marriage. Yep. And uh, my kids are 22, 21, 20, and 14. And so um, the three oldest met when they were really little. Um, my oldest was four and they were five and six or five and, and three. So they grew up together. Um, they are my boys. They don't live with us all the time. But the two that live here, my one graduated from South and my other one's getting ready to go into 10th grade in the fall. So awesome. yeah, so great boys, fantastic young men. I'm very proud of them. That's awesome. Where, where's the one that you got graduated? Where's he going to school? Uh, IUP out in. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I'm curious, you know, uh, I have, uh, my wife and I have two daughters, they're five and three, so a lot younger. Um, but I love asking people like, uh, <laughs> um, cause I mean, at least for us in this season right now, it's crazy, um, with our age and what have you learned from raising, uh, even two young boys, um, and kids in general? <laughs> Oh gosh, I could write a book. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. um, I think in the end, um, you have to trust the people that they're going to become. Um, I see so many parents who are very much watchdog parents. And my theory is if I'm raising my children to be the people I want them to be, I don't have to guard every move because they're going to make the good decisions that we have guided them to make along the way. It doesn't yeah. mean, you know, that I can be duped, but it does mean that um, I'm going to trust them until I can't trust them. And, and so far, that has not, knock on wood, proven me wrong. Um, I also raise my kids with the idea that they are fantastic human beings. Mm -hmm. um, that, yeah, they're works in progress, but they're good people, and that I know they are good people, and. And I think that me having that belief in them has helped guide them as well. Uh, and finally, don't sweat the small stuff. And a lot of it is small stuff. It's, mm. um, yeah, <laughs> a lot of it is small stuff. And you don't realize that until they're older and you're like, wow, you know, why was I so worried about that? He's not doing that when he's 13. Like, I, I remember when my youngest was a baby, he wouldn't eat. You know, he, did, he didn't want to switch to solid foods. He was good with a bottle. Like, 10 months old, he still wanted that bottle. Um, and I was like, he's never going to eat. Yeah. yeah. He's now six feet. Um, he's a skater. He's ginormous. You know, he's just so tall and so handsome. I'm like, yeah, me worrying about that was really not a thing. Because he ate enough, clearly, to be able to grow to six feet. So he's good. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So much of what you're saying is speaking to me. We're, we're encountering those things right now. Um, yeah, we we really try hard to um, not do what you what you were talking about. I guess like they call them like um, lawnmower parents, and then mm -hmm. there's helicopter parents. Yeah, I think I think lawnmower parents uh, they say they mow down all the challenges in front of their kids. Right, right. And then the helicopter parents, 
I forget what they do. The helicopter parents kind of swoop in and guide their kids so that nothing ever hurts them or nothing ever, um, they never have any conflicts so that they don't know how to deal with that. And my philosophy is I think it makes stronger, grittier, more resilient kids when they learn how to navigate those waters themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's awesome. Um, really good advice to remember. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, cause I know family can be kind of personal and, and all that stuff. So I appreciate it. Um, I'm so proud of them. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And man, I'm just, I'm very proud of all of them. So I love talking about my kids. Yeah. What, what are your, uh, I like to ask too, what are like kind of your, um, your favorite things to do? Any hobbies like maybe in the Doylestown area or, or so, whatever? Right now, my hobby is my four-month-old yellow lab puppy. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got a pandemic puppy. Um, she is hilarious. <laughs> um, right over at Turk Park, you know, they've got the dog park, and then they've got those big fields over there. She loves to go chase her ball, and nobody's there right now. So, um, yeah, on any given Saturday, we were out there throwing the, the tennis ball for her, getting some of that puppy energy out. Awesome. Um, yeah, she's, she's a lot of fun. Um, other than that, I love to garden, um, love trying out new restaurants. I really miss that right now. Mm. Um, yeah, miss, you know, sitting outside, well, sitting inside too, having an adult beverage and, and chilling out. So mm. I can't wait till I feel, I feel more safe doing that. Um, other than that, you know, my job and my kids take a lot of my time. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, my job, especially right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure uh, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but I'm sure there's an, an elevated need um, in, uh, in, you know, the organization that you're in. Um, I think that's a good transition into, you know, starting to talk about a woman's place. Um, man, you know, uh, when I was thinking about uh, in the past, even, even now, thinking about a woman's place, I really appreciate um, what uh, the organization does and what the organization is about. At the same time, I'm also like so sorry that it has to exist. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, but then, you know, like I appreciate what you guys do and, and it's exciting to, to know that, you know, uh, an organization like AWP is out there. Um, can you kind of like uh, just tell us, you know, um, what AWP at its core is all about um and yeah like what's it all about at its core sure um i think kind of our our tagline says it best underneath everything where we write a woman's place it says on the road to flourishing and so what it's about is it's a bit it's a um response to domestic violence and so we are there to be the immediate responders so that someone can get to a safe place and feel safe but we're also about um extricating the messiness of some of these relationships to help people get onto the road to flourishing. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, it's just women. It is all survivors of intimate violence. It's not necessarily just women. Um, so we, you know, we provide a lot of support to get there. We have a shelter, which provides immediate safety needs for those who need it in that crisis moment. Um, we also have, well, the first line of entering into the organization is our hotline. And so people can be directed to our shelter, they can be directed to a counselor, it can be connected to our legal services. 
um, that can be connected to a first response advocate. And the staff that I have is on the ground, you know, 24 seven, trying to help folks who are trying to get out of a physical violence situation. And it can be physical, mental, emotional abuse. So um, psychological abuse, we are here to help in any of those respects. Yeah, that's awesome. Now you, you mentioned you're really only two months into your job. Um, can you kind of talk about um, your process, you know, and, and how you've gotten to where you are now? Like, how did you get into all of this stuff? And where, where, what, what was the beginning? And then where, how did you get here? It, it was pretty personal for me. Um, so my history has been in, in uh, hunger relief and housing um, before I came to a woman's place. But uh, for me, it was experiencing a pretty, um, pretty painful divorce myself mm-hmm. and being in a situation where um, my ex-husband, um, you know, he was, we were both pretty young. And when he left, he left me in a pretty dire financial situation. And so I found myself um, having to use a food shelf, um, really struggling to pay rent. My now 21-year-old and I moved seven times within the first seven years. And although he was not abusive, and, and I have a great relationship with him now, so I'm, <clears throat> you know, I have nothing bad to say, to say about him now, I just think about so many other women trying to extricate themselves from a situation like that and having no resources, having nowhere to turn, and being really just stuck in a situation that, um, that they don't know how to get out of. And so organizations like A Women's Place are so necessary and so needed. And, and just a phone call away, I think that's one of the things I love about this organization the most. Mm-hmm. But I've worked um, in food insecurity. I worked at Philabundance. Um, I ran Habitat for Humanity of Montgomery and Delaware counties for mm-hmm. about seven years. And, you know, during that time, I just, I think I just get deeper and deeper into the fact that there is so much suffering in the world mm-hmm. and that I have been given a gift to help people who are suffering come out of it in some way. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of is my driver. I feel like, you know, some people are called to do things. I feel like nonprofit, human services, nonprofit work my calling um yeah. this is what i'm supposed to do and so um i try to do it well and i try to make a difference in the meantime that's awesome did did you go to college to get into like nonprofit work or no <laughs> no <laughs> um i sort of um i was a sociology major so definitely understood the um you know the dynamics there but i really did think i was on the path to be um a licensed clinical social worker and i started to take some of those classes and i was like yeah, no, this is, this is not how I want to help. Um, when, when I sort of discovered nonprofits, um, I was actually an office manager and I was working in a culinary school. And so I kind of worked on the opulent side of food and the Vermont food bank was hiring and I was like, I could do that. So really changed careers and, and having you know, gotten money or gotten food from a food shelf, I sort of understood, sort of understood what they did. And so really digging into it, um, made that connection even stronger. Um, I'm a crazy person. I love fundraising. Yeah. Everybody's like, Oh, why? Um, I love connecting somebody with a mission. Yeah. Um, people have resources where they want to help. I have ways that they can help we make that connection that's like heaven and it's never when that happens it's never an ask it just is you know they want to help because they know that they have the ability to do so and 
we have the ability to use that fund, those funds to help somebody in need. And I love that, that marriage of, of resources and supporting people in the community. Yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. Um, I can sense, you know, your passion for that. What a, I guess it requires when I think about that connecting people, um, resources to, to people, to mission, um, uh, I guess part of that is like creating and communicating like a clear and compelling vision mm-hmm. that like excites somebody. Um, I, how does that work out for you? Um, you know, uh, is that, is that kind of, uh, essentially what you do is creating that clear and compelling vision and, mm-hmm. um, how and does that, mm-hmm. sometimes it's already there, like in a woman's place, it, it's already here. Um, it's definitely, you know, we envision, a society where everyone has the ability to flourish. I can't, I can't top that vision. That's a great vision, but I can execute it. Mm-hmm. And I can take my interpretation of that vision and run with it. And, you know, and I definitely see that I love the services we provide, but I see gaps too. And I see opportunity for us to continue to help people um, beyond the crisis of domestic violence so that they can get, get on that road and, and flourish and grow and, um, and recover. Too. Yeah. You know, survivorship is, is one thing, helping them thrive is another. Yeah. Do you have any, uh, um, I understand if you can't share too much detailed info, um, and you don't have to name names or anything, but are you able to share like a success story or something? Um, so I'm, I've only heard kind of secondhand the success stories. I have not met anyone yet. I do know that um, I, one of the things that we do in general, not naming names, um, we definitely when we work with folks who have been in the shelter, getting them into an apartment of their own is like the best day because you know that that's the next step for them and that they have gotten out of the crisis situation and are able to um, start making their own decisions. Um, start thinking about, you know, this is what I want to do. This is, you know, I can eat what I want to eat. I can, I can decorate it the way I want to decorate it. And, and that is huge and it's very empowering for survival. So I think I've, I've watched it happen a couple of times already and that's exciting to see, um, people move on to that next step. That's awesome. Yeah. And I would imagine, um, when, uh, a woman or in, in this case, a woman, um, experiences like that freedom i mean is there still um like they have to kind of like uh reestablish their life in a way where their uh uh their husbands doesn't know where she is or can't find her or anything like that is that a situation that's common where it, it is, um, you know, there's oftentimes there's children involved. And so there has to be some sort of negotiation with that as well. Um, a lot of times um, they may not be married, so they may not have to go through the divorce situation, but for her, for her safety. Yeah. We, um, we support women through a very confidential process so that they can be safe Yeah, and, and relocate safely as well. Yeah. My, you know, my heart was broken. Um, uh, so a couple of months ago, it was when we, uh, our church, um, bought all the toiletries and stuff, um, during a, a, a drive that you guys had. And, uh, one of my, my leaders dropped off, um, 
the box of stuff. Um, but I, I think I think he, he he couldn't drop it off at an actual shelter because it's private info where those shelters are because the yeah the husbands or the abusers can't know where these shelters are. So I think he had to drop it off at another place. Right. Um, right. And that just kind of broke my heart. It made me kind of uh, realize how um, just the, the web, the, the deep web that uh, unfortunately that women find themselves in. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it just really kind of, it, it touched me in a different way. And I think it, it, did, it did me as well. Um, yeah, our shelters have to be in undisclosed locations so that um, people aren't able to find them. And, and I think for me, what has really touched me is that, you know, you get into a situation where you think that this partner is going to love and care for you. And, um, you know, there, there can be ulterior motives there. There can be, um, there's definitely sort of a case study of an abuser. And it, it breaks my heart to watch someone get themselves you know, and they don't get themselves there. That's a, that's an, a misnomer. They choose somebody based on the fact that the somebody seems to be treating them well and giving them what they need emotionally. And over time, that person sort of, a lot of times they will calculate how they've brought them in and then how they keep them there. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that that's something, you know, that, that we're really trying to stress with our, our survivors is this is not your fault. You did not cause this. No, you didn't. It wasn't because you didn't see something or you you moved forward in a, in a relationship you shouldn't have. This isn't your fault. And I think that's something that we stress over and over and over again. And hopefully it, it internalizes sometimes when people start to believe it. Yeah, yeah. My, I actually have a close family um, that is now out of, um, not a physically abusive relationship, but she is out of a what we've been able to identify as um, like a, I think her, her ex-husband was a narcissist. Mm. Um, and that carried along with it a lot of emotional and mental uh, abuse. Mm-hmm. And um, she has a couple kids and um, they're still going through the divorce process. And um, it's the ugliest thing that I've ever seen happen. Um, <laughs> you know, with, with him being the way he is and uh, he's really trying to ruin her life and take the kids away completely. Um, It's, it's crazy. Um, It's wild. You know, I'm a, I love movies. It's one of my things. And, um, and, you know, I remember as a kid, I watched that movie with Julia Roberts. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah, I forget. Yeah. I forget what it was called, but she oh, was in an abusive I think about that a lot about her husband and how controlling he was, and she moves to the small town and like, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It's um, there's definitely pieces of it. One of the things that we always um, talk about in our education classes and in counseling is that we have this thing called the power and control wheel. Um, and actually, I think it's on our website. I'm looking at the website now. Um, it is under our education and, and resources. And so basically, though, when it talks about our sort of characteristics of someone, of someone who is trying to control and exert power over another person, and I think it gives, you know, if you're in a relationship when you, you're kind of not sure if some of these things are going on, it's a great resource to look at and go, 
huh, okay, maybe, maybe I do see some of that. And if you're still not sure, there's always our hotline too. Um, they can certainly, you know, you don't have to be in a dangerous situation to call the hotline. You can, if you're a friend, if you are a relative, if you are seeing something in someone you know that is concerning, you can call and get get resources and information and um, and guidance on how to support them as well. So I think people think that the hotline is only for people who are in absolute crisis, but we are a resource for others as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm curious, you know, uh, my wife, she works in a hospital in Jefferson Hospital. Um, mm -hmm. She's a clinical dietitian and she works in the intensive care unit uh, or she did for a long time. And now she's in the ALS department. Um, but she's been around so much and seen so much. Um, and she really has to fight against, um, uh, I guess the word is being jaded mm -hmm. and, and becoming insensitive, not to the people, but to the work. You know, I guess I'm curious, like for you or for anybody at, at AWP, I mean, do you guys find yourselves um, having to kind of fight against that, like, jadedness um, yeah. with the work? Yeah, I think that um, we, they call it residual trauma mm. um, because the work is so intense and it's so um, personal and, um, and it, it would be really easy to get super angry or super involved in our folks' lives. So we're very um, intentional about self-care with our employees, and we're very intentional about um, good boundaries and talking about what, what do good boundaries look like. Because if you have good boundaries as, a, as either a clinician or a provider or even an administrator, um, you are less likely to let that jaded feeling um, take over and make you incapable of doing your job. I do a lot of, this sounds terrible, compartmentalization. Um, when I'm home playing with my puppy, I'm playing with my puppy. <laughs> or I am hanging out with my 14-year-old. I, I have to remove my head from here because it's not healthy if I'm, if I'm in it all the time and I'm, I, you know, and I feel it all the time. When I'm here, I feel it, you know, and, and yeah. I give this 150%, but I have to turn my brain off when I go home and, and do something else in order to, to come back the next day yeah as fresh and just as as capable of doing that job yeah man i don't think that's a bad thing you know the compartmentalization i think that's a, that's a good thing to do um you know for so for a lot of people maybe i mean like do you when you go home do you uh do you just put your laptop away no no checking emails um you leave it at the office completely or I tried. <laughs> it doesn't always happen, um, you know, because we're all plugged in all the time now. Yeah. But I have my phone, and I can see things on there. Um, but I can choose or choose not to respond to it as yeah. well. So, um, you know, when I'm in a situation where I'm like, nope, I'm with my family, I'm just going to put that aside for now, and, and I'll, I need to handle it, but it's not urgent. Um, I, I can deal with it a little bit later. So I, d I do try to keep them separate um, because I'm so new here. It's a little harder to do because I, I'm just drinking through the fire hose at the moment. I'm really trying to understand all of the things that AWP does. Um, it's a lot more than I thought. And so really understanding deeply how, how the organization supports um, mostly women throughout the community is, is um, it's broad. Like you think, 
oh, they're a shelter. Not just a shelter. <laughs> mm -hmm. We provide relocation support. We provide rapid rehousing. We provide counseling. We provide children's counseling. We provide legal support. We provide lawyers. Um, we provide education to the school systems, to the hospitals. And, and it, it is a very con comprehensive set of programs. And oh yeah, and we have a thrift store. And so, you know, working through all of that and really understanding the value that all of these departments um, add to this cause is, is pretty, um, I feel a little overwhelmed, but I also feel very, um, I don't know, another word, blessed to be able to be the steward over all this. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, uh, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you uh, again, you know, you've only been in the position for like two months, but maybe you have experience in previous positions, but with so many moving parts, like how do you find yourself as the leader um, leading uh, this organization and having to juggle those moving parts? Um. I try, and I'm not always successful, but I try to just handle every interaction with integrity and honesty and um, try not to promise things that I can't deliver or try to give realistic deadlines as to, you know, I'm probably not going to get back to you on that till Monday, you know, <laughs> so um, because that provides me with a little bit more I have more boundaries that way and I'm able to um, live with myself you know not promise something I can't deliver and at the same time um, I try to stay organized I try to um, have my running list uh, you know and, and what's urgent and important and then you know things that are just urgent uh, okay I'll take care of those but they're not the, ur the urgent and important need to bubble up to the top the rest mm -hmm. of it I kind of juggle and figure out where it goes and then I take every department and I sort of chop it up um, but I have to say the best thing so far and I'm only two months in but um, I have really good directors underneath me, and that you know let them do their jobs mm -hmm. um, and provide me with the information that they need to but they are they're rock stars and so watching oh. this is really really fun and, and having good people like that makes your job a lot easier as well yeah yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that you're surrounded by uh, talent, I guess. Yeah. Um, and they've been there for a while, so they, they know the ins and outs and all that? They have. Um, yeah, all of my directors have been here ooh, at least five years. Mm -hmm. So they know their stuff. Um, maybe yeah. not in the director capacity, but they know the organization and they know, um, they know its pitfalls, they know its strengths, and I think that that's really helpful. And they're, they're willing to give me honest, honest assessment of things. I think as a leader, you have to be willing to accept that. You know, you don't want people around you, around you just telling you yes all the time. Mm. You need people to, to be like, mm, we got a problem. Or, hey, I was thinking about what you said, and, and I want to talk a little bit more about that. I appreciate that, and I need that sort of interaction, because otherwise you start to live in a bubble, and you don't understand what the community needs from you. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm curious. Do you guys uh, – are so – it's a woman's place, but are there ever any situations where maybe uh, it's just the, a child is being abused and the mother just wants to get out of that situation? You know, does that happen or? It does. Yeah. Um, so, and typically in, in situations like that, children and youth um, would probably be engaged and then we would determine what's the best course of action for that child. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, domestic abuse is domestic abuse, but the law towards child abuse is a little bit 
different. So we will work in conjunction with other organizations to help in that situation. Sometimes what gets uncovered is it's not just the child, it's, it is also the domestic partner as well. So um, yeah, we're, we try to work with our partners in Bucks County as much as possible to make sure that those sorts of situations are going to the right folks who can absolutely protect that child yeah. in the best way. It's mm -hmm. good, man, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking. Um, Curious, it might be a dumb question, but maybe not. Like, do you, do you ever, are there ever men that are the ones being abused? Does that happen? And do you guys confront that too? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, because abuse can be, you know, it can be physical, but it can be emotional, it can be psychological. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And so all are welcome here. Um, you know, if, if, if you, your collective audience, if someone in your audience finds themselves in a situation where they think they might be being abused, no matter their gender, they should call us. Also, we've also seen um, um, domestic abuse in the LBGTQ community, and we welcome that as well. So, I, you know, it, unfortunately, domestic violence is not confined to just the male-female relationship with the male being the abuser. Um, and I think that that's the, one of the messages we want to get out there is that we're here for everyone. Um, you don't have to be from Doylestown. You don't have to be, don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to be in a certain kind of relationship. We're here to support you, whatever that issue is. Yeah, that's awesome. You were, you mentioned earlier, uh, you, you guys, so you guys are involved in kind of the legal process on some level and helping these, uh, these uh, people find representation. Um, Man, talk about that a little bit, because I feel like when you, when you start involving um, the legal side and lawyers, it gets pretty complicated. Um, <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> yeah, it's sticky. Well, so up until until a few years ago, um, we only provided advocacy, legal advocacy, which was where um, we support clients through the legal process, just giving them information on how things work. You know, okay, so this is the the paperwork that you have to out to get a protection from abuse. This is what will happen once you fill that paperwork out. So, and we still have those folks to walk uh, people through that process, but we also have two attorneys on staff who deal with custody, divorce, um, protection from abuse filing, so that they can provide legal counsel in those situations. Um, we work with low-income clients, um, which many times someone will find themselves in a situation where the other partner has all of their resources. So they don't have any resources themselves any longer. So we would provide services in a situation like that as well. <clears throat> but yeah, with the, the, the attorneys for us are newer. Um, well, we've been in business 45 years. I think they've come in into play the last 13 years, I wanna say. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of a newer um, piece for us, but you know, shoot, we could have four attorneys on staff and still not reach everybody that we visit that we could in a, that a financial situation that needs that. Yeah. So you actually have like an attorney or, or, or some on staff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. We also work really closely with legal aid mm -hmm. um, and their pro bono attorneys as well. So um, I have to, you know, give a shout out to legal aid of, of Southeast Pennsylvania. They, um, they do a lot of support for um, clients who we have interacted with in other ways. Mm. Man, that's that's amazing. You guys are, are all stars. Um, all the stuff you guys are doing. I'm curious. You know, it, it's a uh, 
you know, I, I feel like everybody's tired of talking about the, 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 the pandemic, but yeah, there's also, there's also, a, you know, there's also a degree where it's like, um, you, you want to, at least I want to ask the question, um, I guess for personally, and then on a professional level with your, your organization, how, how is like the pandemic impacting you personally? And what are you learning from it? And then how is it impacting uh, the organization? And what are you guys learning? So personally, I'll go there first. It's easier. Um, pretty interesting to start a new job in a pandemic. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. New leadership job, too. Like, wow, I could not have timed that more for <laughs> <laughs> So that's been, you know, one thing that's been interesting. Um, wouldn't have my puppy if we didn't have the pandemic. Um, I, you know, I know my 14 year old would say differently, but I think my family is closer. Um, we, you know, through March and April, we were together pretty much 24 seven. And, and, um, I really enjoyed that. My 21 year old is, is home right mm. now. So part of me is kind of like, mm, I like this. And so <laughs> I really tried to take it sort of a snapshot of those moments and just appreciate them. And we all got on each other's nerves, but also what developed out of it was a better way for us to talk to each other, yeah. which was fantastic. Um, rely a lot more on technology. I'm more in touch with my parents than I have been because they now know how to Zoom. And so you can actually see them and, and have a conversation with them. Professionally, it's been challenging. Um, so there's a lot of COVID funds out there that are to support us, which I'm so grateful for but their timeline to be spent is really short. Mm. And so and they can only be spent on COVID activities, not normal activities in COVID times. So oh, wow. that's, so figuring out, it's sort of like predicting what you're going to have an increase in services of to be able to apply the money to that. And that's been a little bit of a crystal ball sort of scenario because you don't really know, you know, next week there might be a new directive that is going to change the way you're handling things but i think in terms of the organization we're essential we don't close up shop we can't go into quarantine just because there's a pandemic our services have to continue whether we're in quarantine or not what makes that harder is for our survivors to be able to even call us in the midst of a quarantine has been you know they can't get out, they can't get on the phone, they're not able to, to reach us. And so I think we all worry that there's people that we're not, you know, especially when we were in the red and the yellow, that we were, there's people that we were not reaching. <clears throat> so it's, it's required a lot of creativity um, and a lot of shifting of the way that we do business to make sure that we can still help those who really need this help um, quickly. And so those are the, we've had to pivot. A lot. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of nonprofits have had to do that and figure out very quickly how they can continue to serve, but do so either virtually or um, outside or, you know, what have you to be able to continue to, to reach people. Um, for us, the shelter operations have changed a bit, you know, making sure that people are safe and, and the shelter's clean and sanitized. Um, and then, you know, court is open but it's a little challenging with the social distance and all that. So that's been interesting to kind of navigate that and still keep the employees safe. Uh, it's, it's been, I think that the, the, my key takeaway is that you have to be flexible and, and just kind of 
and you have to vet your sources of information mm. because there's so much being thrown at you that you're like, what's true? What's not true? Um, and it's like, you know what? I'm just going to say this one seems to be pretty accurate and I feel like I can trust them as a source of information. So I'm going to stick with that one mm-hmm. and kind of ride that course. And, and that has seemed to help me a bit. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious, like, I've read in the news and some articles here and there that um, domestic abuse is uh, on the rise due to the pandemic. Right. So now in your organization, do you, do you guys, are you seeing that? You find that to be true? Yeah. 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 So the calls to our call center have definitely increased. Yeah. yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. So, um, and our ability to, um, the ability of the, of the survivor to leave is, is a bit more challenged as well. Mm-hmm. So trying to help them create safety plans when they can't leave is, is something that we're really concentrating on and helping them figure out how to, how to try to stay safe during all of this. Yeah. yeah. And, mm. mm-hmm. yeah, what are, what are you uh, curious? What, uh, despite the pandemic, um, like, what are you grateful for? And like, what, what do you miss? Do you miss anything that's gone away <laughs> during the um, pandemic? Well, I think going to restaurants. I think that's oh, what, yeah. that's, that's a silly thing. Um, I think, you know, movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I really miss my gym. Mm-hmm. You know, that was kind of my stress reliever. I really liked, because I could leave for an hour and just go have my, my own time to do the cross trainer or whatever. I have to do that at my house now, so. And everybody's like, hey, I have a question for you. So <laughs> um, I think, honestly, I think I miss my family the most. Um, I'm pretty tight with my mom and my sister and my brothers and my dad. And um, not being able to see them on a regular basis has been mm-hmm. really challenging. Yeah. So, um, unfortunately, we had two deaths in our family just recently. Oh. Um, so I did get to see them then, but not being able to hug anyone, yeah. being able to comfort anyone during that was the worst. Yeah. And my dad is sitting there, my, my stepmother passed. My dad had to sit alone. Mm. We couldn't even hug him. Mm. And that, I miss that. And that, that's why I pray really hard for it to go away. Yeah. This, this <laughs> pandemic has um, stripped us of a lot of those intimate things that are so important in life. Um, mm-hmm. I miss in-person meetings too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm very much an extrovert, very much like to read people and read body language and, and not being able to have in-person meetings as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally over these Zooms. <laughs> I'm over it. And I had 12 hours of Zoom the other day. <laughs> the worst headache. Wow. Yeah. It was a long day. That's so. awful. 12 hours. I, I really try to limit myself to maybe like, two hours three hours max things kept coming up and they were like can we can you just jump on a zoom and i'm like sure oh man (laughs) well yeah just to conclude in some ways um i'd love to know and for the audience to know what are some ways uh our audience including us as a church um how can we like walk alongside you guys and help you guys um what does that look like for just random people in the community or us as a church to do that um, I think, you know, as with all nonprofits and the fundraiser, me is going to speak first. Um, we need resources, uh, both financially and physically. Um, we, we run a food pantry. Um, so we, uh, we need to provide items for 
folks in need, food, diapers, personal care items, um, uh, you know, for you to pray for us, mm-hmm. to pray for the women and the men who are experiencing this is, they need it. They don't know they need it, but they need it. Um, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, we still need volunteers. We still need um, support in the community. We have a thrift store. It is open um, in full swing. We always need people to serve there. They're trying to keep it safe as much as possible, but they've lost several volunteers and, and that provides unrestricted revenue for us. So, um, which helps us to, you know, the other stuff in the community. Um, and I guess at the end of the day, just, you know, let people know that this is an issue, that it is not going away, that it is actually getting worse, unfortunately, and that it is not to be tolerated. And it's going to take all of us to help survivors really to, to flourish. Yeah. Now you mentioned um, volunteers. Like, what does that look like? Um, if somebody wanted to actually get their feet on the ground and volunteer, what's that look like? So our website is womansplace.org, um, and up in the um, let's see, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I'm going to go to the homepage. Um, so you can see up in the right-hand corner that there's a donate button. There's a 24-hour hotline button. Um, but there is also a get involved button. And if you scroll down, there is adult volunteer program and teen volunteer program. And so you can get involved as either a teen or an adult. Um, we do have a teen, um, advocacy group that, um, meets regularly to help, um, high schoolers really understand the importance of healthy relationships. Mm. And then we use adult volunteers in every aspect of the organization. They, um, help our help people walk through the court process with legal advocates. They answer our hotline. They work in the store. Um, I have one right now who's helping me with a little bit of data entry that's really important to the work that we're doing. And stuff you can do remotely too. It doesn't necessarily have to be in person if that's you know something that's of concern for you. We have first responders who are volunteers. And so we would not be able to serve the number of people that we do without the, the great core volunteer uh, mm. program that we have. Yeah, no, that sounds, that's amazing. Um, painting that picture of what it looks like to volunteer. Uh, I wouldn't have known um, how that, that question would be answered uh, until now. So it sounds like there's a lot of opportunities uh, to do that. Yep. So, and if you, you know, if you don't have that kind of, so like for advocates to, to be a volunteer advocate, it takes about 45 hours of training. It's, it's a pretty intense process. And if you don't have that kind of time, run a, a resource drive for us, you know, do um, health and beauty products, do a food drive, do something that's maybe a one-off, but that still supports um, the folks who are coming through the shelter or, or coming through the other programs, um, have the resources they need. A lot of times the abuser will lock the survivor out of the house or out of the apartment and keep them away from any of the resources that they had. Mm -hmm. So having those things on hand for people who find themselves in that situation is really important. Gotcha. Yeah. Hey, have you heard of the organization Mission Kids Uh by any chance? Yeah. Somebody, uh, a lady in our church, Hannah, she works for Mission Kids. Um, I think it's based in Norristown. Mm -hmm. Um, But they do some good work. I think similar to what you guys are doing. I think they they may be more geared towards like, uh, sex trafficking and um, we do that, like that as well. 
we okay. do human trafficking too. Mm -hmm. yeah. We have a, a human trafficking program that um, operates out of Bristol um, and the Ben Salem area because that's a real, it's a very active corridor. Yeah, goodness, yeah. it's so sad. Yeah, man. No, and you think in Bucks County? What? <sighs> yeah. Unfortunately. It's everywhere, I guess. It's yeah terrible. Well, I think people don't even understand what that is. Um, yeah. You know, they they think about. Um, you may have somebody at your nail salon who is being human trafficked and you don't even know it. They're doing your nails. They're not getting paid. They, their paycheck goes to somebody else or they're the, the relative of the person who owns the shop and they're, they're being used in order to do this work, but they don't actually make any money doing it. All the money goes yeah. toward the other individual. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Ben, my last question was going to be, um, and you already kind of answered it, you know, as a church, you know, how can we be praying for you guys? Um, and um, um, can you get a little bit more specific on that? Or because um, we'd love to do that. You know, um, I think that one of the things I, I always come away from any um, situations I encounter is the the damage and the trauma that this creates in an individual and praying for that healing for them is probably one of the most powerful things that a church could do because mm -hmm. it is, they own it, you know, and, and they're, there's so much self blame and it's not their fault. Mm -hmm. And so pray for healing. I think that's probably one of the, the main things I would ask for. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to do that. Um, man, well, I really appreciate your time, uh, Marianne. It's, uh, it's been an awesome conversation getting to know you and, um, I'm going to sign us off here and then, uh, uh to, to all the audience out there, thank you so much for uh, listening to this podcast with, uh, Marianne Lynch from, uh, a woman's place. Uh, you can find this podcast on, uh, our Facebook page, uh, uh, updates on our Instagram page, our YouTube page. It's going to be on Apple podcasts and Spotify podcasts. And uh, if you ever have any questions, uh, you can reach out to us. Um, and if you want to connect with a woman's place, uh, you can do that. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. And uh, Marianne, again, thank you so much for your time. I'm super grateful. And uh, man, I keep working hard at what you're doing. It's so, it's so worth it. And it, it's, it's just amazing work that needs to be done. And again, like I said, I'm so sorry it has to be done, but um, you know, it's amazing work what you're doing. So thank you. But we're here, you know, so <laughs> thank you very much. Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Marianne. All right.